Hey, Jarrett Stevens here, and we're talking about God and work and how we integrate our faith and what we do in a really transformational way. And I'm here with my friend, Principal Kenya Sadler from Brown Elementary School. And uh, Kenya, I'd love for you to share what your first job was. Do you remember what your first job was? Yes, I was a telemarketer. You were in telemarketing. How old were you when you did telemarketing? Remember? I was 16. 16? Yes. Prime age for a yes. tele- good recruiter there that got you there. So uh, telemarketing, how long did you do it for? Four months. That's pretty long in telemarketing. Yes. How'd you do? Well, they fired me. I had one sale. You had one sale one over four sale months? One sale in four months, but I started out strong. So wait, your first sale came? Within the first two weeks. Okay, so you had high hopes. This high hopes. A career in telemarketing. I was going to make employee of the year. But then you went another three and a half months without another sale. Not a one. Not a one. Uh, you know, that's, I did uh, telemarketing uh, when I was in high school. I did telemarketing before, so I know that world. I, uh, I only made it one day, though. I literally quit after the first day, so. So I have seniority. (laughs) So you have, once again, you have seniority over me, yep. Well, good morning. As Jean said, my name is Kurt, and I'm the director of Next Steps and Connections here at Soul City, and I'm thrilled that you're here this morning. Uh, I will tell you, eight o'clock was awesome. So the gauntlet is thrown, all right? So it's gonna be be a great day. But I love being a part of a community that is committed to, to making Monday just as spiritual as Sunday. That, that what happens here doesn't stay here. And so uh, I'm excited to be able to up here, be up here this morning to teach and we continue our Taking Back Monday series. I hope you guys had a great week, a great Monday. If you didn't, hopefully tomorrow will be better. So we're going to talk this morning uh, as we continue this series about something that we can do to actually adjust how we engage with our employees, with our bosses, with our people uh, that we interact with on a daily basis at work. Because as we learned last week, as Pastor Jared kicked off this series, we spend much of our waking life at work. And so we want to make work great. And so that's what we're talking about this series. And so if you weren't here last week to check out that message, I would encourage you to do so online. You can go to our website and check that out. It was an incredible, incredible uh, message as we learn this idea that the God of the universe who could do anything that he wanted on his own, doesn't need us, but invites us and is interested in getting engaged and involved in our work on a daily basis. He actually invites us to do work in a way that engages with him on a, on a regular basis. No matter what you're doing, where you're doing it, it's actually for God and with God. And as we prayed that prayer daily this week, I hope it changed and transformed your week. It, it did for me. And so as we look this morning at a new idea of how Jesus takes our perspective on work and actually flips it upside down. I don't know about you, maybe, you know, we all kind of engage work differently and we kind of come to this topic perhaps from different places. Maybe you're here and you love your job. You worked really, really hard to get to where you are and you finally feel like you're in a job that actually appreciates your awesomeness. And you're like, this is great. I'm utilizing my skills and gifts. Maybe, you know, you you tolerate your job and and it it pays fine and it helps you do the things maybe you want to do, but it's just a means to an end. And, And if you looked around and if you were honest and you looked at the landscape of other people, you know, you might want her job. Or you wish you had that part of, of his job as a part of your benefits package. And we all can kind of do that and kind of piece it together. And he gets five weeks vacation. He gets two. They have slides at work. I don't know why. You know, whatever, right? Uh, maybe for you, work is really difficult. You actually loathe going to work. It's, it's a place of stress. It's a place of uh, challenge. It's not a place of satisfaction. Or maybe you come into this series this morning, come into this room even, and you're currently looking for a job. 
And so the idea of talking about work is, is painful, even. And, and, and you're like, and any job would be fine. Like, even telemarketing, as Principal Kennedy said, even that would, would be fine at this point. I, I would love to just have a job. And, and, and no matter where we're at when it comes to work, there, there's something that's in all of us that we all want more from a job than just a paycheck. Right? We want, all want more from our experience at work than just money in the bank at the end of the week or end of the month, although that, that is nice. There's something that we all crave, no matter where you're at on the spectrum, spiritually, no matter whether you love your job, dislike your job, whatever it might be, we all want our work to be meaningful. And so I hope today, as we look at the scriptures together, we can find something that no matter how your context is, and that might not change, that something can change in us that will affect how enjoyable and satisfying our work is, to find a place of purpose, regardless of if our employment situation doesn't change at all. And so as Jeannie mentioned, you know, yesterday it, it snowed here in Chicago, and that's the thing I love about uh, spring in the Midwest, I use air quotes for that one, uh, is you can literally go from turning on the air conditioning to turning on the heater in the course of like 48 hours. Uh, and then, you know, it dries out your apartment and you get stuffy and all that stuff, right? Because you're going back and forth. And, and there was a time when we, uh, a couple weeks ago when it was actually nice out, uh, we, we, you know, we, my wife and I, we, we left, went for a walk with our, our daughter and you, I turned everything off in the house. And then middle of the night, I woke up and I was freezing. And like, I like, couldn't move. I was like, what is happening? Like, I uh, get, to, you know, so I crawl out of bed and fumbling around in the dark, trying not to wake the baby up because that's like the worst thing in the world. Um, find my way to the thermostat. And it's off because I turned it off. It's my fault, right? And so the temperature, the thermometer that's on the thermostat was saying 63 degrees. It's chilly. It's a little cold. And so I turned the heat on and set the thermostat back up to 71, which is where I like it, right? Warm the, warm the apartment right back up. It, this little box on the wall not only told me the temperature, but actually could change the temperature in my house. The, this box on the wall had, had two functions. One, it was a thermometer. It said, this is what it currently is. Too cold. It could have just said, too cold. And then you can adjust it and push the buttons up, and now it's a thermostat, and it's going to do something that's going to change the environment to make it more enjoyable, comfortable, beneficial, right? And we have the same opportunity as human beings in our workplace that we can either be a temperature gauge, we can be a thermometer, just say this is what it is, this is what's happening, and fall into the path of our work office and normal cultural workplace, or God is inviting us, and we have the opportunity to be a thermostat and actually set the tone, set the temperature, and raise the awareness of purpose and satisfaction in our workplace. And you can do that at any position that you're in. You don't have to be in charge. You can do that at any position that you're in by applying the principle we're going to look at today. And so I wanted to dive in together, and, and here's something that I want you know, us to, to kind of Give us some perspective as we get going here. Uh, you know, there's a lot of ways that we kind of think about work and, and where we want to go and what will be helpful. And, and many of us, perhaps, we're like, I just got to do what I got to do to get there. And, and maybe you've, you know, gone this way as well. It's like, I want this in my life. If I just had that or if I just got there, if I just got that promotion, I just got that raise, I just got that office, I just got that title, then work would be meaningful. These exterior circumstances that many of us, if we're honest, feel like are not in our control, right? We think that's what's actually affecting our satisfaction and we're at work. But you've perhaps experienced this like I have. Even when you get it, it's not all you thought it was, right? 
even when you get it, it's not all you thought it was. Because there's something that's true about us is that we can't acquire, as much as we try, we can't acquire, buy, or consume our way into a satisfied life. Some of you are like, I'd love to give it a shot, though. <laughs> like, I'd, I'd volunteer. We can't acquire, buy, or consume our way into a satisfied life. That way of working doesn't actually work. But we can serve our way into one. It's this upside down, kind of flip the lens way of thinking that Jesus invites us. That's the way he invites us to live. It's the way he invites us to actually do work. That he says there's a connection between satisfaction, selflessness, and even success. What if there's a connection between satisfaction, how much I enjoy my work, selflessness, living not just for myself, I'm living for someone else, and actually even success. What if that's possible? What if that's possible? And so I want us to grab our scriptures today, grab the Bible. If you brought your own, that's great. If you want, you can grab one of these out of the seat back pocket. For me. We're going to look at a story that Jesus tells some of his closest followers. All right, so we're looking at this story in Luke chapter 14. Now, you need to know a little bit about Luke. Luke was a researcher. He was a, a, a historian, a doctor. He did all kinds of cool stuff. And he interviewed tons and tons of people that were around Jesus, that followed Jesus for years asked all kinds of questions, said, what's Jesus like? What did he do? What did he say? And he compiled all of his findings into this book that we call the Gospel of Luke. So he gives us this beautifully uh, well-rounded picture of the life and person of Jesus. And so in chapter 14, which if you have these gray Bibles, is on page 729, we're going to read a story that Jesus tells his followers. And Jesus tells the story because he noticed something. He noticed the tendency that we all have to strive to get more, to be better, to you know, look impressive. All those things, that, like the allure of like, the corporate ladder, like it's intoxicating. We've all experienced it. And maybe you've been at a place like this moment where Jesus tells the story where you can kind of just tell there's some like jockeying for position happening. Right? Maybe it was at a, at a board meeting. Maybe it was just at a company picnic. Maybe it's in your family. We've all been in these situations where you can just kind of tell there's this like unseen, unspoken, like political jockeying that's happening where people are trying to one up each other. You know, for me, it's like family Christmas. Someone always has a better story. You know, oh yeah, I did this too. So Jesus notices this happening amongst his followers and he tells them a story to kind of point them in the direction of what he thinks is the best way to live. And, and no matter where you're at in your spiritual journey this morning, uh, I think we can all kind of look at this story and go, man, I don't have to believe all of the like, supernatural God stuff to believe this, but this is an interesting perspective that we can look at. So grab your Bible. Again, starting in uh, verse 8 of chapter 14, Jesus is noticing how people picked their place at the table. And he tells this story. He says, when someone invites you to a feast, whether it's at a, at a wedding or a company party or invites you to a, you know, a meal, do not take the place of most honor. And again, we, we can kind of get this, but back then, where you sat at the table was incredibly important. It said a lot about who you are, and it said a lot about who people thought you were. And so where you sat at the table was incredibly important, perhaps for the rest of your life. It was important to the, to the host, and it was important to the guest. So it says, do not take the place of most honor, for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. Now, they didn't have ping and paperless posts back then where you could see the guest list before you say yes to attend the party, right? They just kind of had to show up and, and go, right? So, because when you get there, you don't know who's coming. You don't know who's invited. So don't just assume that you're just going to go to the head of the table because someone more distinguished you may have been invited. And if that happens, the host who invited both of you will have to come to you and say, please give this person, the more distinguished person, your seat. It's embarrassing, right? 
Then, humiliated, you will have to take the place of least importance, because that's all that would be left. And I don't know if you ever had a situation like this, maybe not literally, but something like this happened to you. I have. And in my mind, I'm just like embarrassed and frustrated, and I have this like internal judgment that shows up. Like, if they're so important, they should have shown up on time. <laughs> right? Anyway, that's just me. All right, so... That's the situation. And so Jesus says, but here's a different way to, you know, different perspective, different way to live. He says, instead, when you're invited, take the lowest place. Take the lowest place. So then your host comes to you and says, friend, don't sit here. Move up to the better place. And then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. And then this last line of the story, the principle that Jesus is trying to teach his first followers, and I think it applies to you and to me in our work life now, and you've maybe heard this before, but this is a powerful, powerful statement. It says, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. Those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. And I wonder if Jesus isn't just giving a great idea, but is actually speaking into something that is so core and true of our humanity that we were actually designed to live this way. But but for some reason, along the way, we've lost sight of that. We've been redirected by our workplace culture, by the goals of our parents, by a professor a long time ago. They don't even know their name, but they said, this is how business gets done. Or the expectations of our boss. Or we've just kind of thrown our hands up and said, man, this is just how it is in my industry. Everybody does this. I just have to do it this way. And so this idea feels so counterintuitive. Take the lowest place? Like, Jesus, are you serious? Like, you obviously have not been to my workplace. Because if I don't keep up, I get passed up. If, if I don't cut those corners, like, I'll, I'll never make my quota. I'll never be seen as important if I don't remind people how good of a job I'm doing and puff myself up and jockey for position. This is just how it has to be. But you've probably experienced, as I have, that even as counterintuitive as it seems, when we try it, it actually seems to work because the other way the way we're familiar with hasn't always worked you, you, you hustle hard to put in extra hours and, and pass up people on your way to the top of the ladder not ever paying attention to who might be harmed along the way a co-worker, family at home whatever it might be and we're stressed and we're striving for more, we're striving for the next thing, if I just get there, wherever there is then I'll be happy. I can't work with all these people. I just got to start my own company. Be my own boss. Then you're your own boss. And you got all the same problems. And now you're the boss and you got to figure it out. And, and we all have these moments where like, man, there's got to be something more than just this hamster wheel of life. Because I'm getting tired. You get to the end of the work week and you're just exhausted. Not because you work so hard but because you're just not satisfied with your job. Maybe you have a great job and money's great, but you've, it's lost its purpose and there's no direction anymore. And this idea that Jesus is suggesting might not just be a good idea, but it might be how you and I were hardwired by God. It's a desire placed in our soul by the one who made us to say, you actually crave meaningful work and that's a good thing.
It's a good thing. But we get lost along the way about how we can actually make it happen. I know for me how this kind of shows up in, in my life is that, you know, I, my industry, if you, if you will, like serving instead of striving, like you like, might think from the surface, like, oh, that's easy for you. Like, your bosses are like Pastor Jeannie and Pastor Jared. Like, of course, you don't have to like strive to get your way to the top. And, and of course, this doesn't apply to you. You don't understand. And, and I might not know everything about your specific culture, but I know me. And I know that when I sit in my counselor's office and she reminds me that, Kurt, your drug of choice is indispensability. And when someone looks at you and says, that was so great, I get like a hit. It's like, oh yeah, give me some more of that. When someone says, we can't do it without you, man, watch out. Something just begins to grow inside of me. I'm just like, I'm going to do everything I can for you. And, and in, my, in my job, like, serving can actually be really manipulative. Let's be honest. Because I can, like, serve you but want something in return. And that's not what Jesus is talking about. Because serving with expectation isn't humility, it's manipulation. So when you go into your office tomorrow and you're doing this so you can get something back or to prove somebody wrong, that's not what Jesus is inviting us to. But when we take a step of actually posturing ourselves as a humble person saying, I'm going to go at, at your pace. How can I help you? It flips the lens and something happens inside of us where we get fulfilled by pouring ourselves out. That there's this connection. There's this connection about how we do what we do in a way that is others focused that isn't just all about looking out for number one. And I love that, you know, this passage that we just read, this, this, this message that Jesus, uh, we believe the Son of God, you know, invited us into a new way of living, this upside down perspective. You know, modern research backs it up. A couple years ago, 2007, University of Chicago published a study they worked on for 20 years about workplace satisfaction. What are the most enjoyable jobs where people in those careers say, I enjoy my job more than anything else? And there were so many responses and it was so vast of a study that it had to boil down all the categories of employment that people were in that responded to this survey into 500, that was the limiting number, 500 categories of occupation. You're like, I didn't even know there was that many options, <laughs> right? And they boiled down to 500 and they said, here are the top three most satisfying work choices, most satisfying occupations. Anyone want to guess what they are? And now they're on the screen, so... I would have think it would have been like a Maserati test driver, right? That would be awesome. Or like uh, a food critic in Chicago would be excellent. I'd be like 800 pounds. All right, so the most satisfying job categories are ones that where you care for others, teach others, protect others. All three of them have a, a word in common. This is the University of Chicago. All of them are others-focused. This, this study changes how we see things. And it mirrors the teachings of Jesus. And here's what's so interesting about this study. Income was not a factor. Once you kind of pay the bills and like kind of eat and sleep indoors, like more income didn't increase more happiness. It was what you were doing and how you were doing it that actually led to fulfillment and enjoyment on Monday. And that's counter to what I assume is true but it's right in line with what Jesus reminds us of. And so you're like, how is this actually going to work? Like, how, what does it actually look like? Okay, maybe if, even, if I, even if I buy it for just a second, what do I actually do? 
How do I actually change my behavior to lean into this, this test, this, this, this challenge from Jesus? Because I think for many of us, there's a lot of fear that comes with this idea. If, if I don't do these things, I will get passed up. If I'm, you know, the leader of my division or, or, or the, maybe even the CEO of the company or I'm leading the team, if I serve the people that report to me, the entire corporate, you know, organizational structure will implode on itself. And these are real fears. If I'm out there looking out for other people and finding ways to serve them, who's going to look out for me? Real questions. Like, if this was easy, we'd all do it. It's not. Even though it's how we were designed, it's not natural. It's challenging. And here's what I love about Jesus. Is that he doesn't say that this is a place of weakness. And we can so often assume that serving is a position of weakness. But here, here's, I don't want you to miss this. When you take an opportunity and you go into your workplace Monday morning and you have the mindset, of, I'm actually here to serve, it's actually a form of rebellion. Rebellion against the typical and, you know, overtaking corporate culture that you might be in. Because when, when I just kind of give in to do business as usual, do things everybody else's way, do, do what has always worked in the past, there are invisible forces that are kind of controlling how I'm doing what I'm doing. They're kind of moving my life in a way and I'm actually no longer utilizing the agency that God has given me to make a difference in my workplace. And the Bible calls that slavery. And we choose it for ourselves. I, I choose it for myself. I choose it for myself when I'm teaching on serving instead of striving. Because I'm reading over my notes and I'm trying to do a good job, not because I'm resting in the reality of the good thing that Jesus said, but I want you to think that I'm a good communicator. So I'm more worried about what I might wear, how I'm going to say something that's funny, rather than teaching something that's helpful or true. After the eight o'clock guy joked me, he goes, hey, couldn't have done it without you, man. Great job this morning. And I was like, <laughs> right? and, it, and it's good for me. It's good for me to go, it's not about me. And so when we take that position of serving, when we say, I'm going to choose the lower position in really simple, sometimes even small, but meaningful, tangible ways, it's not a position of weakness, it's a position of strength. It might be the lower position, but it's a position of strength because when you and I choose to do something that we don't have to do, we go above and beyond, we go the extra mile, we do something for someone that couldn't do anything for us in return, it's actually saying, I am choosing to utilize the gifts and the talents and the agency that God has given me as an individual human person to make a difference in someone's life. No one is doing this for me. No one can control me. I'm choosing to do this on my own. This is a position of strength. And in doing so, we can set the temperature and raise the temperature of humanity in our, in our household, in our family, in our workplace, on our team, and perhaps even in our company as a whole. You may go back into the same corporate culture tomorrow that you don't like, but you can do something to affect that culture. You can bring something new to that culture. By saying, it, it may not get me anything in the short term, but I'm here to serve. Something as simple as a thank you note. The power of a handwritten thank you note cannot be overstated. It's different than an email. You get hundreds of those. Delete, delete, delete. Thank you notes sit on people's desks for months. 
could be as simple as going to someone that maybe reports to you or is on your team that you're leading and you're the boss and you don't have to. But you say, hey, how could I, how could I help you today? What can I do to take something off your plate? Or how can we do this your way? Go at your pace. You may have never said that before. People would be like, are you feeling okay? <laughs> the little things we do to serve someone. Sometimes it's as simple for many of us of working hard on something that doesn't matter to us. That you give your best to a project that, you know, it's like, whatever, it's just like, that doesn't matter. But it matters to someone else. And when you bring your A game to that that has no benefit to you, sometimes serving someone could be serving your family through your work. You get to it. You work hard. So when you go home at five, you're home. And you're with your kids. And you're with your roommate. You're not bringing work home all weekend. It's a huge way to serve someone else. There was a guy at a church I used to work at. Um, not a perfect person, for sure. But I noticed this about him even when I was an intern. And, and he led this huge department. He led all of that church's kind of like world engagement and mission stuff. All, I mean, he had teams all across the country, all across the planet. And every Thursday at 4 o'clock, he was done with work for the week. Not to go home or to go golfing or to go get, you know, a latte. But he would walk through all the other departments. He would come down to the intern, you know, area of student ministry where I was as a 20-year-old college student. have no idea what I was doing. How's your week been? What are you most excited about? What's been the best part of your week? What, what, what projects have you been working on that you just see God moving in? You just, you've loved it. Anything you need? Anything my department can do to help your department? So I probably saw him once a month. So you just rotate. I'm like, man, that guy's free. That guy's awesome. I look up to that person. That person, I feel like they're doing something meaningful. And I think about these things, you know, and I'm studying this, I'm like, man, there's so many people in our church just like that. So many people, they have, you know, they're not, they're not perfect, but they've figured out how to leverage their life and influence and even their company to serve other people. So I'm, I'm still going to do a great job and, and work hard and, and get promotions and all that. There's nothing wrong with that, but how I'm going to do it is going to be a, a way of being others-focused. I think of Jasmine Lopez, phenomenal, talented, gifted photographer. She makes even people like me look good in pictures. She's so good. And she could very easily be touring the country and taking pictures for celebrities. I mean, she's so talented. But instead of what she does... It's for every session that someone books with her, one for one, she does a session through her Click for Hope projects, where she does a session for someone who's unable to afford it, or is going through a challenging time, or has a story that's needing to be told, but because of how our world works, they don't think getting their picture taken makes a lot of sense. Last month, she took an incredibly beautiful session with multiple women with alopecia. And... and, and I bet you that changed their day, if not perhaps their life, by someone saying, we're going to dress you up, we're going to do a full-on photo shoot. Because you're beautiful, and your story matters. Jasmine is able to change people's lives through living and doing her business that way. I think of a company in our church that a couple of folks work for called Advocate Creative. Award-winning creative communications agency. I mean, they are phenomenal. 
Some of the biggest companies in the world hire them to do their creative communications. They're winning all kinds of awards. And yet what they do is they take their profits from those bigger budget companies and they do the same level of excellent work for nonprofits, startups, and smaller companies that are doing incredible things but can never afford to hire them. And they do it discounted or sometimes even for free to say this message is worth spreading and world-changing organizations need world-changing communication and we're going to be your agency. It's powerful. It's power. It's literally changing the face of business. I think of people like D.L. Morris who is leading worship with us. He's a partner in his law firm. You could talk, you could talk to him he's like, that didn't just happen overnight. He didn't just stumble into it one day. Like, he worked hard. He put days in, put his time in, took cases probably nobody else wanted to take. But what I know about D.L. is that he didn't cut corners. He didn't just try to fast track his way to the top. He's a man of integrity. And it might have even taken him a little bit longer, but you know what? It's a good thing he was because now he's in a position of leadership and influence. And God help us if any of us get to a position of leadership and influence and we don't have the character to keep us there. I can fall in that trap too. I'll just cut the corner to get there. And then once I'm in the right role, then I'll be a person that's trustworthy. Then I'll do it the right way. Then, I'll, then I can afford to do it the right way. It doesn't happen. Deal's track record of character is what sustains him in his position of leadership. Think of a guy in our church named Nate Crumsig. Great guy, friend of mine. Talented, smart, software designer. Worked in that industry for a long time. A couple months ago, found himself in an unexpected season of unemployment. Ever had one of those? Everything was fine. You're going to work on Monday, and oh, today's your last day. Wasn't expecting that. And instead of kind of retreating and just like going to a hole and Netflixing it for a while, which was fine, you can do that. But he contacted someone on our staff, and you know, this was a month and a half before Easter, and hey, I know Easter's coming up. Is there anything I can do to help around the church? He's not trained in construction. He's not trained in interior design. But he was here day after day for weeks, cleaning, repairing. I think he painted almost 60% of his building leading up to Easter weekend, just serving. And my hunch is when Nate came to Easter and he saw almost 2,700 people experience Jesus and, and invite him to make all things new in their life, my hunch is Nate had a different experience of Easter because he helped make it happen. This place looked incredible. It was full of people and their lives were being transformed. Because he said, I have this unexpected season of unemployment, so I have a lot of availability. And so I'm available. Don't know how to do it, would love to learn, but I want to help. Instead of striving for what's next, they're like being frustrated at God. He said, I want to serve. I'm going to take the lower position. Get pain on myself, sweat. Took the lower position. And he experienced something different at Easter because of it. So what about you? How are you going to take back Monday? In your workplace, in, in, in your specific culture, that the, the meeting you're you know, nervous about this week or the relationship at your workplace that's challenging or the success that you know is coming and you're not sure how you're going to handle it. How do you take back Monday by serving instead of striving for more? 
an accountant, as a nurse, salesperson, stay-at-home parent, even a business owner. How can you change how you work tomorrow? Take a position of serving instead of striving. You may not be in the service industry, but every day you and I have the opportunity to serve someone. We may not be in the service industry, or you might be, but every day you have the opportunity to serve, to take back Monday, to do it in a way that makes much of God in your life and through your life. I love this passage in Psalm 46 where God reminds us, says, cease striving. I love that. I need to, I need to hear that. Cease striving. Why? And know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. See, here's what I want you to miss. Position of serving is actually a position of trust. The position of serving actually is a position of trust. Because you're saying, God, I know you're actually in control. And I know you're actually with me. My boss isn't in charge of my life. My career is not in charge of my life. My paycheck is not in control of my life. God, you, I'm actually placing my trust in you. I'm giving you control of my life. And so taking the lower position, the position to serve is actually a beautiful position and declaration of trust in God. It's one of the best ways we can trust in God at work tomorrow. So what's going to be for you? How are you going to take a posture of a servant? How are you going to take the position that's lower instead of the position that's most important? And, and, and I love that this invitation from Jesus is actually modeled by Jesus. Towards the end of his life, he gathered his closest friends in an upper room and had a meal with them, what we celebrate as communion. And he looked around the room and a bunch of people there. One of them he knew was going to betray him in just a few moments. And notice the position of the table that Jesus takes. He's not only their teacher, their leader, he's also the son of God. And so if anybody deserved to take the position of highest honor, it would be Jesus. He would be entitled to it. But he didn't even just take the lowest position at the table. He actually took the position of the servant before they even got to the table. It says he took a knee and he washed their feet. And, and I don't know about you, maybe you have someone in your workplace that is, they got it out for you. And you're like, man, they are trying to do me in. Surely Jesus isn't talking about serving them. And I'll just, for me, look at the picture of Jesus washing Judas's feet, taking some time, looking him in his eyes, knowing moments later he would turn him into the authorities to be falsely tried and accused and eventually murdered. He gets to Peter, the loud mouth, the big shot, I resonate with Peter. Peter says, no matter what, no matter whoever else leaves you, I will never leave you. I will be by your side till the very end. Jesus washes his feet, 
knowing that before dawn, Peter will curse his name and deny him to a middle school girl. So I'm going to serve you anyway. So that's the picture that Jesus invites us. He didn't just teach it. He modeled it. And so in a moment, as our host teams come down the aisle, we're going to receive communion together. We're going to receive the body and the blood, the bread and the cup of our Savior. So host teams, would you come? They're going to grab these trays and pass it through your aisles. And I would just encourage you, no matter where you're at in your spiritual journey, this is the invitation from God to you. Jesus took what only he had to give, what only he could offer himself, and said, I'm going to give it up freely for you. I'm going to offer my body to be beaten, to be crucified. I'm going to offer my blood to be poured out, the only sinless blood to ever flow through human veins. I'm not going to have it taken from me. I'm going to pour it out freely because this is how I'm making a way for you to reconnect with God, with your loving Heavenly Father. So as the trays come down your aisle, grab one of the cups of juice and grab one of the gluten-free crackers there. And hold on to it. We're going to take communion together as a church. This is a beautiful way for us to be reminded and invited by the Savior who served. 